going to keep that open. I'm going to pray for us and we'll look at it together. Uh, Father, we'd come before you and uh, there are many things that we feel anxious about and uh, we ask that you help understand uh, your perspective in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I remember speaking to my friends uh, as a very young child, speaking to some friends of mine who had found $100, uh, a $100 bill while playing at the park. And the two of them had looked around. They couldn't find anyone to give it to. And so they eventually told Dad. They said, Dad, we found this $100 uh, just lying over there under the tree. And so Dad held onto it for them. They stayed at the park as long as they could. And no one else was around. No one came around. No one came looking for the money. Eventually, they took it home and they split the money three ways, which I reckon is a pretty good deal for dad, just quietly. Um, but these friends of mine were quite industrious and they always had this plan for making more money in life. They always had a plan to, to get ahead. Um, when we were having meals with them and other families, we'd put a play on and we'd write this play up during the uh, in between um, di- uh, dinner and dessert or lunch and dessert. And uh, then we'd put the play on in the uh, afternoon or evening. And all the families who were over would have to come watch this insufferably boring play that we'd invented. And we'd serve lemonade on the side and we'd charge them 50 cents or whatever it was from uh, for the play admittance and for the refreshments as well. I, I guess it's a bit of a, a long stretch to think you'll get rich um, from charging 50 cents for lemonade and 50 cents to watch a play. But reflecting those stories made me curious. I wonder what the ideas are that people have had as get rich quick schemes in life. Has anyone ever had one before? A get rich quick scheme? I'm sure a few of us have had ideas. Um, have had sort of like, and I guess if you thought, you know, I'm just going to go and find some treasure lying around somewhere. Yes, that is a get rich quick scheme, but I don't think it's one that actually works. And so I went to Google this week and I typed into Google, uh, what are the get rich quick schemes? Um, and would you believe that Yahoo? Finance has a page titled Nine Money-Making Schemes That Are Actually Legal. Ooh, sounds very enticing, doesn't it? Um, I had a look at it, and uh, I, I seriously doubt any of them work as a get-rich-quick scheme. There's a couple of results that I might tell you about for the humor value. The first one is crowdfund your business. Now, I, I don't know what you think about this, but crowdfunding is where you ask people to donate money to your idea. If your idea is that good, uh, that it's going to be so profitable, most likely you're already making money from it and you don't need the funding, right? It just didn't quite make sense to me. And that was probably the best of the nine ideas they put down. Here, I'll give you two more. One of them was credit card churning. Um, they suggested that you find credit cards that have reward schemes within the first 90 days if you spend X amount of money and then you spend that much money on the credit card and get the reward scheme. Now, I don't know about you, but Sounds a bit weird to me to get rich. You spend a lot of money and do this a lot of times. So doesn't sound right, but not as dicey as the final option, which was uh, one of their nine money-making schemes that actually work. They said it was gambling. And it starts off by saying, go to a casino and you'll make lots of money. And I thought, these guys don't know what they're talking about. This cannot work. Surely not. These schemes all seem to me unsatisfactory. And uh, if you're not sure, I probably would put it to you quite clearly that if you follow these kind of schemes, you're on a path to financial ruin, not financial success, I would argue. Um, so then you ask yourself, well, how do I get really rich then? Because I don't want to be putting on 50 cent plays the rest of my life. How do I do it? Um, the lure of easy money, if it's there, people want to take it, don't they? What's the scheme? How do I get really rich? Ask yourself the question, how do I do it? And now that I've made you ask the question, look at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. And what does Jesus say? He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
Do you like how I stuck doing there? All these nice stories of get rich quick schemes and plans and that sort of thing. And then bang, Jesus says, don't store up wealth. So is Jesus against get rich quick schemes? Is that what's going on here? Well, maybe it depends on the scheme. I'm not sure. But what we're going to see as we look at this passage is that it isn't get rich quick schemes that Jesus is speaking against here. He's actually speaking against a much larger problem. He's speaking against anxiety. Now, we're looking here at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus telling his early followers uh, about the kingdom of God and what it looks like to live as someone in the kingdom of God. And we see here in chapter six, he's talking about anxiety. And anxiety comes when our treasure is in the wrong place. Look at verse 25. He says there, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Jesus says, what is life all about? And he asks us to consider some of our basic needs, food and water and possessions. Lack of these things can cause anxiety in people. And they can cause anxiety because these things are people's treasure. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The treasures, the things you treasure most, when you're without them, um, or they are in an unusual state, can bring anxiety. Uh, it can cause great anxiety to people. And I guess, look at the world we live in, um, people's lives are at stake, and that causes anxiety, doesn't it? What are we going to do, people say? We need to find a solution. And you look at the events over the last 18 months to two years, things keep changing. Narratives keep changing. Confusion reigns. There's goals set and moved and set again. People respond with compliance and then with rage, and there swings back and forth. There's this growing level of anxiety in the world. That's due to uncertainty. But it's more than that. It's because their treasure is at stake. It's not just their lives that they're worried about. It's lifestyle, the freedoms that some people value. Or maybe there's other things. There's renovations that are being put on hold or the idea of family. My idea was a great family and then I was with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And maybe it's jobs are under threat. There's all sorts of things that when at stake makes us anxious. When your treasure's at stake, people become anxious. And we wonder, Jesus, are your words a bit out of touch here when you say, do not be anxious? But of course he's not, is he? I mean, he's challenging us to think about two kinds of treasure. And he wants us to think about the value of each treasure. And he's trying to say treasures of the earthly kind that we just talked about, they are corruptible and therefore insecure. Whereas heavenly treasure is incorruptible and therefore much more secure. Why would you be anxious about something that can't fade away? Now, your treasure on earth could be any, any number of things. I flagged a few of those. Um, but generally, when you're without those things or they are under threat, that can cause anxiety. And those are the treasures, okay? Anxiety is not a good thing. It, it does bad stuff to your system. Um, you don't want long-term anxiety as part of your life. You won't have good outcomes. So when you're looking for treasure, why would you go for the stuff that brings you anxiety? It doesn't make sense, does it? Now, in, in contrast to the earthly anxiety-producing treasures, which can't fulfill, Jesus says, look, past this life to treasure in heaven things that do last things beyond this lifetime now ultimately that is your spot with god um your place at the big dance your room in your father's house the eternity and the eternal wonders of the eternal god who loves to bless his precious children who brings us there through faith in his precious son jesus that is the ultimate ultimate treasure right and if that is the ultimate treasure what are we doing in the present as we are investing in that treasure. Things like 
growing in our knowledge of Christ. We'll never know it all, but the more we learn about him, the less anxious we'll be about the other things in life. Gives us greater perspective on them. Or, or maybe it's helping others find out about the treasures in heaven. That's a good way to reduce, reduce anxiety, to focus on other people. Or, or maybe it's fellow believers we're focusing on as well. Those who have faith in Christ now, learning to love them more because they will be in eternity with us. Treasure in heaven, this is the sort of thing it is, these sorts of things, things which last beyond this lifetime. And so Jesus is saying to us, invest in heaven, put our efforts into eternity, things that will last, relationships with God, with other Christians sharing the good news. Invest in these things because in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, I uh, heard a story about a woman who was having trouble getting to sleep and she was really quite worried that um, someone was going to break in and rob their house. And so every night she was distressed going to bed and her husband would say, don't be anxious about it. Don't be stressed about it. But she still worried her wife to sleep, hearing noises and worrying that there was going to be a burglar. Well, this went on for years and years. And then one night, there was a noise downstairs beyond the little cracking of the house when the heat's going out, beyond the, the possums in the bushes. No, no, this was a sound of a door being opened. The wife kicked her husband. Honey, honey, there's, there's someone downstairs. Huh? Huh? What? There's someone downstairs. Go down and check it out. Okay, okay. So he gets up and she says, she's, I told you, I've been telling you for years this was going to happen. There's somebody in the house. Go and check it out. Okay, so sorry. He gets up, he puts on his, his um, dressing gown and, and he goes downstairs and sure enough, there he is, a man with the uh, balaclava on, the spotlight in the hand, looking around at the uh, the goods. He turns, he sees the husband. The husband says, good evening. I'm so glad you're finally here. I'd love you to come upstairs with me and meet my wife. She's been waiting 10 years for you to arrive. So welcome to welcome to the house fun. See, worry is a, a funny thing, isn't it? Um Worrying is a, a bit of a silly thing. There's that classic statement that worry is like a rocking horse. Um, it gives you something to do, but you never get anywhere, right? Um, talking about anxiety here, worry. Jesus says, don't be anxious. It sounds good, but Jesus, what does that look like? How do we know that peace that transcends this world? Look at verse 26 and 27. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You know, verse 27, I've been really struck by over the past 18 months. Um, what an interesting verse for the days that we live in. Uh, we cannot control the span of our lives. Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You know, it's, 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 um, it's confronting, isn't it? The, the, the time we have on this earth is not in our control. It is entirely in God's hands. We may have 58 years, 92, 14. We don't know how long it is, but we like to think that we can preserve our lives if we do the right things, if we eat the right food, if we exercise enough, if we make the right choices. Now, I'll put it to you, if you do those things, you may well enjoy the life you have a bit more, but if we think we can add even an hour to our lives, it's arrogance. It's a claim that we know how long our life is, and by doing these things, we can extend it. A claim that we are in control of all events that might impact us. And so people might take certain steps to prolong their life. They never take planes. It's too risky. They drive everywhere, and then a bus misses a stop sign. They stay home to avoid danger and then fall down the stairs. They decide they're only going to eat lentils. Well, that's death in and of itself, isn't it? You get the point I'm making, right? 
You can't control your life. You can't extend the life you have. God knows how long it's going to be, and we don't. And that's okay. That's actually a refreshing thing. That's okay because we are now in the waiting room. The big event is yet to begin. And so we can reduce our anxiety about this life because we know it's just for a short time and then eternity. And God knows what we need in the present. See what he said? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the kicker. Are you not of more value than they? We don't have time to look at the crazy arguments that people put forth about length of life and God's provision. Some of the um, examples, God knows how long I'll live, and I can't change that, so if I jump off a bridge, then I can't die. Well, who said this wasn't your time, mate? I mean, well, why bother living healthy at all if God's just going to, well, maybe you'll enjoy your time on earth a bit more. Um, why bother working if God provides? Well, one of the things God provides is the ability to work, right? You, you get all these things. We, we can figure those out by ourselves. We're smart people. We know how this works, right? What we need to remind ourselves this morning is that we are not in control. And that should free us from anxiety. Because somebody who thinks there's no God lives a very anxious life. They say there's no God out there. And therefore, they see themselves as the ultimate arbiter of right and wrong and the ultimate provider for their own life. Ultimately, they are the responsible person for every aspect of their life. That is a difficult life. That is anxiety producing, isn't it? Any mistake you make in life is because you did the wrong thing. You couldn't control the circumstances. You weren't in charge of the outcomes. If this life is all you've got and you're responsible for every little bit of it, that is a tough way to live. And all the more difficult because you are denying what is true, right? That God is there and that life does work his way. On the flip side, when you acknowledge that God's in charge and you see clearly that he loves us, he sent his son Jesus to save us and you know he's there and you know his promises, you can look back and you can say, well, how do I know God's going to protect me? And how do I know he's going to look after me like he says here in the Bible? Well, because he's done it before. Throughout the pages of history, he's kept myriad promises to his people. And he's made a promise to you in Jesus, his own son. What's the worst thing that could happen right now? Because God promises that nothing can separate us from his love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so knowing that, we've got to get the right perspective in life. We have to have the right uh, vision. Now, I don't know, it might come as a uh, shock to you to hear this, but um, I actually wear glasses. Um, not, you may not have noticed that before. Um, there might be a few others here who wear glasses. I'm not sure. I can't see clearly enough to tell. Uh, when I uh, young, uh, my eyes tested for the first time and uh, finding out that I was short-sighted, I was at the optometrist and um, they checked my eyes. They said, yes, you, you know, you need glasses. And mum was with me. I was only 30 at the time, so I needed her to hold my hand. Uh, no, I was about six years old. And uh, mum was off choosing my frames for me. Um, if you haven't seen any photos of the frames she chose, well, thanks, mum, for nothing. They were not exactly stylish, but that's fine. Um, They're probably cheap. Uh, but I said to the optometrist, what does it mean that I'm short-sighted? And they said to me, well, what it means is you can probably see about three metres perfectly. And after that, things get fuzzy based on how your eyesight is. Oh, okay. That stuck with me except I got it a bit confused. And so later in life, many years later, um, someone said to me, uh, so your glasses, how short-sighted are you? And I said, oh, actually, I can only see three metres. I said, oh, what's wrong with you? What sort of disease have you got? I, I realised I explained it fairly poorly to them. Uh, 
and I was not an optometrist and therefore I couldn't understand how to explain it properly. But being short-sighted, what Jesus says in uh, verse 23, uh, 22 and 23 makes a bit of sense to me. I mean, he, he's talking about getting our sight right, okay? He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, all right? I take my glasses off and go wandering around outside. I can't see things in the distance too well. Put them on and I can see a lot better. Makes perfect sense. And all of you with glasses are nodding along. You know how this works, right? Um, but he's talking about spiritual vision. In verse 21, he says, get your hearts right. Verse 22, get your, your spiritual perspective right. Because if your vision becomes clouded by the anxieties of this world, you will be anxious and lose your way. It's not a great way to live. So don't become so attached to the things of this world that we lose perspective. We've got to keep the eternal in mind. And the conclusion is there in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you get your sight right, you're not worried about tomorrow or the next day because you know those days are going to have their own problems, but the big picture is sorted out for us. Now, I wonder, um, as we uh, finish up here, what's your plan uh, as you look forward to your days left on earth with heavenly eyes? What's your plan here? How are you going to store up for yourself treasures in heaven? You've got your treasure of eternal life secured for you. But what else are you going to store up there, right? Not that you gain things, but how do you know more about Jesus? How do you share the good news with others? How, how do you prioritize your eternal relationships with your fellow believers? How do we do those things? Because these true riches are found in good eyes, having the right perspective on life, prioritizing things of eternal value. And we want to be those who actually do that seeing our anxiety reduced and our joys in God greatly increased. Let me pray for us. Um, and uh, I'll pray that we can think about how we can do those things. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you do give us eternal perspective through Jesus. And for the great relief it is to know your promises, your true and short promises that can reduce our anxieties so greatly. Help us to turn back to them afresh. Remind ourselves of what you've done and live lives for you. Free from the worries of this world and worried about how we can build up treasure in heaven. That is learning more about who you are, the riches that you hold and seeing others come to join us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.